you know how to deal with that. Well, today, the third message is dealing with temptation. Last week, when we left Joseph, his brothers had spared him from imminent death in that pit. But then they pulled him out of the pit and they sold him to a band of Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. Once he got in Egypt, Joseph is sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. Now, I wondered, while in his chains on his way to Egypt, I wondered, did Joseph think, man, is this part of God's plan for my life? Is this uh, the way that God is going to show me how he cares? Is this the way God is going to deliver me? Is this the way he's going to protect me? Well, I don't know what the answer to his question was, but for me, it's encouraging to know that we don't have to know how God's plan is going to work out in order to know that God's plan is going to work out. Amen? You don't have to know how it's going to work out. You just know that it is going to work out. Everything will work out according to God's plan. So through the difficult circumstances of his life, Joseph learned two life-changing lessons. One, he learned that God does indeed have a plan for his life. And two, that plan required faithfulness on his part. Same thing with us. Friend, God's got a plan for your life. But it does require faithfulness on your part. These two truths were the overriding theme of Joseph's whole life. Everything that he did required faithfulness. And everyone who was around Joseph took note. They took note that there was something special about this guy. There was something special about Joseph. And they all took notice of Joseph. Friends, I want to tell you that the events in today's message are not just a story of sexual intrigue. It's also a story about two diametrically different standards of living. Two different standards of living that clash and are completely opposite to one another. We have Joseph on the one hand who represents those who belong to God. Those who desire to live their life according to the word of God. And then you have Potiphar's wife, on the other hand, who represents those who see no higher authority than their own self and that only live for the gratification of their own flesh, their own desires. See, it's far more than just an ancient soap opera. It's a drama that we still see acted out in our day today. Here, as the people of God, you and I are still called to live according to the truth of God's word. And we still find, though, that we're living right here in the midst of a culture that is not only hostile to God, but will do everything in their power to seduce you into living the way they want you to live. So this story has a lot of meaning for you and I as we live in the culture with which we live. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 39, and we'll get going. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. 
bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, say saw, his master saw, his master saw, saw that he was, that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all he did to prosper in the land, in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and all that he had in the field. Verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Let's pray. Father, my brothers and sisters and I are faced with temptations literally moment in and moment out. And as we learned in Sunday school this morning, we do have a choice of how we're going to respond to those temptations. Lord, allow this story about Joseph to teach us Truths that we can use in our daily fight against temptation. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Friend, can you imagine being Joseph? Can you imagine being sold as a slave by your own brothers? Your own kin, your own blood. Can you imagine... Even though you were sold as a slave, still living in a way that honors God? Can you imagine still living in a way that others will trust you and that you'll be a reflection of the God Most High? I can't imagine that. But Joseph did. He lived in a way where Potiphar saw that God was with him. Potiphar, his owner, saw that God was the source of his success. It was all because of God, Potiphar saw. I want to ask you this. Has your life had that kind of effect on people that don't know God? Has your life had a positive influence on the lives of people you know who don't know God? Today we're going to see Five principles that you and I can use about temptation that we can draw from these events in Joseph's life. Principle number one. Temptation comes when you least expect it. At the end of verse six, the word of God says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Joseph had gone from the bottom of the pit to the top of the world. And his faithfulness and his hard work has paid off, but now he's come into a responsible position where even at that place, a temptation came. Beware, friend, when you've experienced victory. Beware, friend, when you think you finally arrived, because that's going to be the place 
where temptation will come and where it will be the strongest. Beware. Temptation came to King David when he was in his 50s. He thought he'd made it. He thought he had it going on. But he was in his 50s. He had unified his kingdom. He had expanded his borders. He had brought peace to the region. And it was right there in the midst of that successful reign that temptation came to David and he fell. And great was his fall. Now the Hebrew language has a very wonderful way of telling us what Potiphar's wife did. It literally says there in verse 7 that she lifted up her eyes at Joseph. The Living Bible says this woman made eyes at him. In other words, she batted her long eyelashes at him so that she could get his attention. And it worked. That was the phase one. But if Miss Potiphar had not made her intentions known, then she made it crystal clear with her words when she said, come lie with me. It was crystal clear what she wanted then, and Joseph could have just given in. He could have just slept with this woman. He might have even justified it, thinking, well, man, so much bad has happened to me. Maybe I deserve this. But friend, let me tell you, it doesn't matter whether this woman was lonely. It doesn't matter whether this woman was attractive. It doesn't matter whether this woman was available or anything else. Wrong is always wrong no matter what. Amen? Say that with me. Wrong is always wrong no matter what. But maybe we need to stop right here and confirm one truth. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Many Christians needlessly carry around guilt because they've been tempted to sin. They think because they've been tempted that somehow they've displeased God. But friend, the sin is not in the temptation. The sin is in yielding to that temptation. It's not just about being tempted. The Lord Jesus himself was in all points tempted to sin. But he was without sin. See, it's not a temptation. It's not the temptation that matters. It's how we respond to it. Now, here's how some people respond to sin or temptation. Well, I just can't help it. I'm a sinner. I can't help it. They say, well, I'm only human. I'm going to sin. Who's heard that before? I have too. I probably even said it. But the temptation is not the problem. How we respond to the temptation is the problem. Temptation, friend, is just a sign, really, that we're living in a fallen world. And if we're living in a fallen world that's full of sin, guess what? You're going to be faced with the temptation to do what surrounds you. You'll be tempted. But just because the pigs are wallowing in the pig pen doesn't mean that you need to get in there with them. Amen? Amen. But beware. Because temptation comes when you least expect it. Principle number two. Temptation always tries to make sin 
look acceptable. We need to have reasons set forth in our minds before temptation comes our way. We need to establish reasons why we're going to obey God. We need to make our minds up about sin in advance so that we won't be as likely to surrender to the temptation when the passion of the moment comes. Set in your mind in advance why you won't sin, why you won't do this, why you won't do that. Set in your minds in advance because if you wait till you're tempted, it will be too late. You will not have time to set in your mind why or why you shouldn't do this and that. Because Joseph here had settled these matters beforehand in his mind, Joseph didn't hesitate a second to put what he knew in practice. The first thing he did is he tried to reason with this woman. Verse 8 says, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house nor, than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The Bible says simply that Joseph refused. I ain't having no part of this. He refused. And he pointed out to this woman that marriage is sacred. He said, you are his wife, not mine. You're his wife. Let me tell you, friend, if you're thinking about abandoning your marriage for what you think is greener grass on the other side of the fence, you better remember that that grass has got to be mowed too. Amen? There are going to be problems just like there is on this side over on the other side. So don't abandon your marriage for such silly, silly reasons. If you're thinking about cheating on your spouse, and if you think that cheating on your spouse will solve all of your problems, I want you to think long and clear about what the Word of God says about that. Joseph knew in advance. He knew in advance that his character that his reputation and the trust that had been given him were at stake. He knew it, and he didn't see adultery as some harmless act. No, he saw adultery as a sin against God. Against God. For to Joseph, to sin against God in this way would not have only displeased him, but it also would have damaged whatever testimony Joseph had there in Egypt. He knew it was going to be damaging his testimony. It would have destroyed his witness. It would have undermined any trust that any of these Egyptians might have had in knowing the one true God. He realized, friend, that sin is not some kind of alternative lifestyle. Don't be lured into thinking that sin is some kind of alternative lifestyle. Friend, it is rebellion against God, and it always will be, no matter what you want to call it. Sin is sin, and wrong is wrong. So it's always easy to find some kind of excuse when you want to yield to temptation, isn't it? If you really want to do something, it's easy to find an excuse to do it, isn't it? Isn't it? It is. But Joseph saw that sin was not only something that hurt God, 
that sin was always something that hurt other people. There are people who trust you and I not to yield to temptation. There are people in all of our lives that trust us not to yield to temptation. Your children trust you not to yield to temptation. Your spouse trusts you not to yield to temptation. Your fellow Christians here today trust you not to yield to temptation. And indirectly, even the lost people who watch you day in and day out, they trust in the fact that you won't yield to temptation. It always hurts somebody. There's no sin that is only about me because my sin will always hurt somebody. But most of all, Joseph understood, and I pray you understand, that sin is primarily an offense to Almighty God. So if for no other reason, not to yield to temptation, do it for your God. Like David, who prayed after his sin with Bathsheba, he prayed against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. David recognized it. That, that phrase, against you and you only, means especially against you have I sinned. So more than anything else, you displease and hurt the Lord your God when we yield to temptation. So it comes when we least expect it. Temptation always tries to make sin look acceptable, but it never is. Principle number three. To be victorious over temptation, we must avoid areas of temptation. Apparently, this temptation that Joseph went through was a strong one because it came at Joseph repeatedly. In chapter 39 here, it tells Joseph that, or tells us that Joseph refused her advances four times. Let's read it. In verse 8, he refused, number one. And said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything but from me but you. Because you are his wife, how can I do this thing and do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was when she spoke to Joseph day after day, he didn't heed her. He didn't heed her to lie with her or to even be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Four times he refused and rejected her advances. Now it's interesting to me that there in verse 10, the Bible says, so it was that she spoke to Joseph day after day. Day after day, she tried to bring them closer together, but Joseph refused. Not only did he consistently refuse the invitations of Potiphar's wife, but eventually he refused to even be with her. He, he realized that she was going to keep coming, so he wasn't even going to be with her. He wasn't even going to be around her. Why? Because he realized that he needed to avoid areas of temptation. 
He didn't even want to be around her. What wisdom we see in Joseph's actions there. Friend, do you want to avoid sin? Well, that's about 10% of you. Amen? You want to avoid sin? Guess what? Stay away from the places, stay away from the people, stay away from the things that entice you to sin. That's pretty simple. I think I can do that if I really want to. Amen? If I really want to. Remember that even if she had succeeded in seducing Joseph, it wasn't going to be the first time. And it probably wasn't going to be the last time either. It's something that she had in her nature. I've read that temptation is a lot like a telemarketer. It comes to us when it's least convenient. Can you get a testimony on that? It keeps coming back again and again. Once you receive one, it seems like you receive ten. It keeps pushing even after you say no. Amen? Tell a telemarketer no, and what's it going to do? It's going to keep coming. It makes what it's selling sound great. That's what a telemarketer does, but that's what temptation does too. But here's the big one. But there's always a catch. With temptation and the telemarketer, there's always a catch. So temptation comes, friend, when you're least expecting it. And it always tries to make sin look pretty. But if you're going to win the battle over temptation, you've got to avoid the areas where you're tempted. That sounds logical to me. Does it to you? Avoid the areas where we're tempted. Principle Number four, to be victorious over temptation, you may have to physically leave. You may have to physically leave. Joseph had the good sense to flee from temptation. He had to run. He had to get away from this woman. Verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went in the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she called him. By his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. I like how the King James Version puts it. He left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got him out. In other words, he got the heck out of Dodge. Amen? After all, nobody else was going to get him out. Right? Nobody else was going to get him out. So if he was going to resist that sin, he had to get himself out. He had to flee from that temptation. There wasn't no time to be reasoning with this woman. It was not a time to say, okay, I'll pray about it. Amen? This wasn't a time to meditate about it. The only godly course of action was to flee from her. To get out. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was thinking about Joseph when he wrote those words, those warnings to the Corinthians when he said, flee from sexual immorality. I bet he was. But Paul had also reminded those Corinthians, as Brianna reminded us this morning as we began, saying, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. And we will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, say when. But when you're tempted, not if, 
But when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you'll be able to stand up under it. You will be tempted. How will you respond? Friend, there's always a way out for those who will take it. Amen? There's always a way out of temptation for those who will choose it, for those who will take that way out of temptation. But sometimes we like to toy around with sin. Sometimes we like to toy around and see how close we can get without actually doing it. But we see that Joseph was only interested in getting as far away as possible from that temptation. But often we try to get as close as we can before we try to get away. It's true of immorality, and it's true of every other kind of sin. The longer you wait to say no, the harder it will be to do so. Say that with me. The longer we wait to say no, the harder it is to do so. Say no immediately and flee from temptation. But we return again and again to play with this sin. But it's foolish to do that. And the more we play, the weaker we get. And before long, we lose sight of the goal of godliness. We lose sight of the goal, and our desires take us somewhere where we don't want to go. Temptation. And it's the very moment that we begin doubting and begin debating the pros and cons of sin, that's when you give the devil a foothold. The minute you begin saying yes or no is when the devil takes a foothold. Friend, in almost every situation, if you'll think back, almost every situation, we cannot say that the temptation was more than we could bear. We can't say that the temptation was beyond our control because it was under your control. Many of those temptations that we face, we have allowed, maybe even encouraged. What do we do? What do we do? Often we fantasize about it. We say no, but we play around with yes. So which will it be? Instead of flirting around with it to see how close you can get to the stovetop before you get burned, I'm telling you, when you see the stove, flee. Get away. Temptations will come when you least expect them. And they will try to make sin look acceptable. To be victorious, you've got to avoid the areas where you're tempted to sin. And if that doesn't work, flee. Get out of there as fast as you can and avoid that temptation. Principle number five. Victory over temptation may not make you popular. Verse 13. And so it was. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. 
He has come into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And she spoke with him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Two things happened real quick. One, Potiphar's wife brings a false accusation. Number two, Joseph gets thrown into the clink unjustly. Thrown into prison unjustly. Now I'm sure that this woman lied. I'm sure that she lied because she wanted to protect herself just in case Joseph had already spoken to Potiphar about her sexual advances. But no matter what, she was going to make Joseph regret the day that he rejected her. He was going to regret it. And as it happens all too often, the passion of love can quickly turn to hate. So, for doing the right thing, Joseph was thrown into prison. And what made that imprisonment so hard to bear was that it was so incredibly unjust. He had done the right thing and got thrown in jail for it. See, most times you and I think that obedience should bring success. That obedience to God should bring prosperity to us. I mean, good things should come if you do good things, right? Right? And bad things should come to those who do bad things, right? Well, Joseph's imprisonment ought to make us rethink about the rewards of obedience. Because get this, obedience does not shield us from pain. Doing the right thing doesn't always shield you from pain in this world. The good guys don't always win, at least immediately. For there will be a day when each one of us will stand before the throne of God to give an account of how we dealt with these temptations. And you will receive great rewards for your obedience at that time. But if you're going to be victorious over temptation, you've got to do what Joseph did. When you're tempted to do wrong this coming week, do what he did. Just refuse. When Satan whispers in your ear, go ahead and do it. Everybody else is doing it. Refuse. When you feel like giving somebody a piece of your mind, remember you ain't got it to give. And just refuse. When your coworker asks you to do something unethical, just remember who you are. And remember whose you are. And just refuse. Just refuse. I think that all of us can identify with the words of C.S. Lewis when he said, No man knows how bad he is 
until he tries to do good. You never know how bad you really are until you really try to do good. Temptation comes, friend, when you're least expecting it. And it tries to make sin look pretty. To be victorious over those temptations, you've got to avoid the areas where you're tempted. And if that doesn't work, get out of there as fast as you can. But remember, overcoming temptation still may not make you popular. Perhaps this morning you're realizing that there have been times when you've lost the battle of temptation. I believe that all of us in this room can identify with that. Well, we've lost the battle against sin, and, and maybe some of us are filled with shame as we remember the past times in our lives where we have displeased God. Maybe you failed in your past, but I want you to know this. If you're listening, say amen. What matters most is what you do from this point on. Lay the guilt aside. Lay the shame aside. Because what matters most is what you do from this point on. God is not so much concerned with your past. He is concerned with your future. What are you going to do from here on out? Maybe you've been tempted to give up on living a pure life. Maybe you think, you know what? I've blown it too many times. I might as well just give up. I can't help it. Anybody ever heard that? I can't help it. That's an excuse straight, straight from the gates of hell. Because you can help it. Maybe you failed in your past, but what matters most is what you do from this point on. Remember, friend, just to do what Jesus told that woman who was caught in adultery to do. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus would not have told her to do that unless it was possible. Amen? He tells us that too. Neither do I condemn you, Bill Barlow. Go and sin no more. There is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is restoration in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes to everyone who will just come to the Lord Jesus. So whether it be for the first time that you come to him or another time, amen? I don't know how many times I've had to come back again and again to ask for forgiveness and restoration so whether it's the first time or another time today, just call out to the Lord and the Bible says you will be saved. For the Christian, just confess your sin to him, knowing full well that he is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, he will be saved. Friend, do you believe? Do you believe? 
Father God, often temptation seems 